Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, the owner of Townsend Family Law and an experienced family law lawyer practicing in all areas of divorce law in the city of Toronto. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Jennifer Warren Medwin, who is a certified divorce coach. And our topic is something that I think is so important and everybody going through divorce can really benefit from our discussion on this topic, which is strategies to empower you during the divorce. So who doesn't need that? Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for joining me on the podcast today and welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation with you. Well, why don't we start by having you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and the work that you do? Sure. So I have a practice called Seeking Empowerment Clarity Through Partnership in Miami, Florida. I am a certified divorce coach and family mediator. I work with individuals and couples who are contemplating going through the divorce process. I help to educate them and empower them through the journey. And my hope for everyone is at the end, they are able to have an amicable relationship because once upon a time, they did start from a place of love. And I really want to help individuals move through it feeling empowered and confident. Now, divorce can be a really disempowering uh, process or sort of part of someone's life. Often when people are going through it, uh, they feel very disempowered. Um, What are some of the reasons that you think that is? You know, that's a really good question. I think because the divorce process in and of itself is like learning a new language. There are many tentacles to it. And although there is we, we like to aim for certainty in life. We live with constant uncertainty and divorce compounds that. And when people are feeling very overwhelmed, they, they tend not to focus on how to solve the problem, but the problem itself. And it almost creates a quicksand where you don't think you're taking brave bites forward. You're just at that crossroads. And that overwhelming feeling can lead to feelings of disempowerment. And I will say this to you, in the word empower, what are the first two letters? E-M. Turn them around. Me. People forget that the power is within themselves, right? Our, Our power is our own. Just like happiness is an inside job, so is power. And people become so overwhelmed during the process, they they don't stop to check in with themselves, manage their emotions, use moderate behaviors, use flexible thinking, because they're in a state of flight or freeze, right? And um, it doesn't help with acquiring ways to overcome the problems that exist so that you can move through it. Well, it definitely can be a very overwhelming time for a lot of people. And I think part of that as well, like there's just so much uncertainty. They don't know 
at the end of it all, uh, how much money are they going to have? What are the lawyers going to cost them? Uh, what's going to happen with their kids and all of that. So what are some of the, I guess, top strategies that you recommend to people to help them feel less, you know, disempowered uh, and more empowered? Well, first, I want to say that human beings in general, whenever we're going through challenging situations or we're questioning ourselves, we take jabs at ourselves, J-A-B-S. And jabs stands for we judge ourselves, we abandon ourselves, we blame ourselves, and we shame ourselves, right? And becoming aware of the jabs helps to empower you. So in the beginning of the process, when you're noticing that you might be shaming yourself, what I want the listeners to do is just to become aware that they notice themselves shaming themselves, not to judge it, just to notice it. And then how do you reframe that? How would you reframe a shaming comment to yourself? And if you get in the habit of practicing this, you become better at it. Because something that I talk about in my book are the three A's of change, right? And if you can develop an awareness of something that you do, like shaming yourself, you're, two, you're one third of the way there in, in moving through change. Because becoming aware is number one. Two is acknowledging and accepting that you do do this. And only when you accept and acknowledge that you do something, can you change it, which is the action, right? And the action in this case would be, okay, I just realized I shamed myself. How might I say what I want in a more positive, empowering way, right? And that's that a matter sense. of checking in, checking in with yourself. So, you know, I always say to people, if you are aware of it, you're moving through it. And people become very overwhelmed with most challenges, right? And I, and I say to my clients, you have made it through 100% of your challenges. And you know how I know that? Because you're here in this moment, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there is, my practice is based on the empowerment dynamic, which it's, it's very long to explain, but at the very essence it's that individuals have two choices in life. It could be bankruptcy, it could be divorce, it could be disease, it could be death, whatever the challenge is. And here are the two choices. You're either a victim or you're a creator, right? And it's okay to feel like a victim in moments. And then you have a choice to empower yourself. And that is by figuring out ways, creating new ways for you to move forward right? And that's what coaching is really all about is where you are in this moment, where do you want to go? And how can I help you get there? Right. Now, victims of abuse, um, you know, I think in particular, ha have a struggle with, you know, not feeling empowered, um, because they've been in the relationship for however long where they really didn't have power, and they felt, you know, potentially helpless, or certainly disempowered. Uh, and one of the things I find uh, in working with clients who have been, um, I hate the word victim, you know, survivors of 
um, you know, domestic violence or, or verbal abuse or narcissistic abuse, whatever it might be. Um, one of the challenges I have is I find often they come to me in a state of what I call like learned helplessness. They, they just, they don't know how to help themselves. And even when I'm presenting them with solutions, they always come up with five reasons, you know, why that's not going to work or why we shouldn't do that. Um, and it can be very challenging, um, to get someone who's in that type of mindset to, um, make decisions and make important decisions and move forward. So, if someone came to you as a, a client and, and you found that like that's where they're at right now, um, you know, what would you say to that person and how would you work with them to try and get things turned around? That's an excellent question. Well, I, I first I will say to you that the word, how you speak to yourself matters, right? And so I would encourage them to start being more mindful of how they are talking to themselves, how they are championing their own authenticity, how they are being the good mothers to themselves. For example, people who constantly say, I have to do something. I have to go to carpool. I have to go food shopping. I have to go to the gym. No. And a more empowering word would be, I want to. I want to go to the gym. I want to go to the carpool. And when you use more empowering words, you actually, your energy rises and you, and you feel stronger. What I usually do with clients who come in who have stories such as that is we go back and, and we talk about what are some of the things that they like about themselves? What do they value about themselves? Because often when clients have undergone traumatic situations, they they have forgotten what makes them unique and special. And I will tell you that most often I usually say to the client, let's come up with 20 to 25 words to describe you, things that you like about yourself, things that make you special. And they'll say to me, I can't do that. I, I can't even name two. And I'll say, okay, let's just name one. I'm a good writer. Great. What's another one? And by the end of the few minutes, we've come up with 20, 25. And then the job is the following week to come back to me, add five more to your list. And what I notice with these individuals is they're so, they're, they have lived in protective mode for such a long period of time that they have not thought about who they are, who they really are, what they want out of life. And I find that when you start teaching people how to empower themselves, they are more open to, to suggestions on how to move forward, how to take, people say baby steps. I don't like that word because babies are not empowered. They don't have control over themselves. So I suggest either brave bites forward or um, micro steps forward. Yeah. I like that. And to you. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, and I agree with you, like, you know, baby steps does, it doesn't sound empowering. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, it sounds like you're going at a slower pace maybe than, you know, you could be, or, or should, which, you know, another word I don't like should be. And so, 
You know, I, I really agree with you on that. And I think, you know, a lot of us, we really do need to be mindful of how we talk to ourselves, like people, whether you're going through a divorce or not. Um, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes can be very self-deprecating or they crack jokes, for example, mm-hmm. um, at their own expense. And sometimes people can be very funny, um, you know, with their self-deprecating sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're still hearing yourself talking to yourself that way. So um, it sounds like even though you're doing it in a joking way, it could still have an effect on your your psyche and feelings of empowerment. For sure. And, you know, a couple of things that you said, um, the word should right? I, I say to my clients, stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> have you ever heard of that expression? I, I have. Yeah. So it's yes. a good one. And, and whenever I could bring humor into something that is more painful, it, I find that my clients can move through it easier. Right. That and makes sense. the other thing that you said is, you know, our need to be more mindful, right? As soon as we put the word need into something, it's, it becomes a responsibility. And that is disempowering. So wanting to be more mindful, right, is much more empowering and helps you move forward. So that's what I encourage my clients is really begin to listen to the way you speak to yourself. And there's a whole chapter in my book that talks about and gives examples of words that are either empowering or disempowering, right? And that's, you know, part of when you're going through the process of divorce is you start questioning your self-worth. And so right from the onset, we need to, we, we focus on working on ways to lift you up, to empower you so that you own your own individuality, right? Because we all have all, we all have a purpose on this planet. And sometimes we forget how valuable we are. Definitely. And and I think a lot of people have a sense of failure about divorce. You know, they, they went into their marriage wanting it to work, thinking it was going to work and they struggle with a, a sense of failure to their children, to themselves. And of course, feelings of failure are also disempowering. So mm-hmm. I guess part of your work probably involves helping people not um, view it that way or categorize it that way. Yeah. And speaking to themselves again. So if someone were to say that to me, I would ask them to repeat to themselves is what I am saying or thinking helpful or hurtful? Naturally, or most often they would say, I know that's hurtful. Okay, so how could we reframe that in a more empowering, positive way, right? And really, you know, so many of us are just getting by. We're not living in the present moment we're not checking in with ourselves. And when that happens, it it leads us down a road of unhappiness, right? And so some of the things that I work with my clients on in the very beginning, before we really get to how we're going to overcome some of the issues, how are we going to get from where we are to where we're going to go, is really give them some self-help tools to start getting themselves feeling more um, 
stronger emotionally and physically. So one of the things that I teach them is the GLAD principle, G-L-A-D. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. I love it. So before bed every night, I encourage them to use this principle. And there's something called habit stacking, where you attach a habit, a new habit that you want to create to something that you already do. And brushing your teeth is a habit. People don't think it's a habit. And most adults brush their teeth twice a day. You know, my son, I can't, I can't count on him to do that every day. But as adults, we, we do. So at night, while you're brushing your teeth, because studies have shown that when you're brushing your teeth, you are either forecasting the future or rehashing the past. I want you to be in the present moment. So while you are brushing your teeth, I encourage my clients to use the GLAD principle. And here's what it is. One thing that happened that day that you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be a monumental thing. It could be that you woke up. Okay. One thing that you learned that day, we all learn something every day if we're looking for it. One thing you can acknowledge about yourself. Maybe it's that, you know, you made it, made the, you set the intention of smiling more. Again, it doesn't have to be mon- monumental. And then D is what you're determined to do the next day. Right. I like that. And it's, it's very easy. It's just one from each category. And studies have shown that when you, when you do self-help activities like this, you calm yourself down and you're able to relax and sleep better at night. And if you sleep better, you're more rejuvenated and you have more energy to move through the day with whatever, whatever comes your way. You know, it's very difficult. We're, very, we, we're all very good at taking care of other people but ourselves. Yeah. Especially as women, especially as women. Well, women now I feel are in a more precarious situation than ever in history, right? We're, we're, we're juggling so many different responsibilities and um, at least here in the United States, you know, certain things are being stripped of stripped from women. And um, it's, it's very difficult it's it's very difficult and that's why you know i come up with a lot of different acronyms to help people because i feel that acronyms are tools that you can take with you and remember easily like i have a framework called the lean framework and it stands for learning to let things be not learning to let things go cuz learning to let things go is a setup because right. most of us remember what has transpired and if we can shift our focus to learning to let things be, we can move through them easier. The E in it is empower, which we've spoken a lot about empowering. And then A is acceptance, right? Because if you can learn to accept something as it is, that doesn't mean you approve of it. People, people get that confused, right? That if I accept it, I'm approving of it. No. You just accept it as something that has transpired. And then the end is how you nourish yourself. Because oftentimes people who are going through the dissolution of their marriage, they're not nourishing themselves, right? They're not working out. They're not meditating. 
They're not doing a lot of the things that they would, that they love or that would help them lift their spirits. Positive affirmations are really important and really bringing that to the forefront before you, before you enter how you're going to solve these particular issues. That makes sense. I, I love the acronyms that you have too, because they're easy to remember and they make sense. So uh, I, I think they're great. Um, one of the chapters that it, it titles in your book that caught my attention. Uh, so I'd really be interested to learn, uh, you know, what's behind the title of the chapter is minimizing conflict is a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I, I deal with a lot of high conflict uh, divorces and. Uh, I find both parties uh, are generally contributing to the conflict that they think it's one sided and it's mm-hmm. only the other side. But generally, I find that's not the case. Uh, so um, what's, uh, you know, what does that mean? Minimizing conflict is a choice. How is it a choice? It's a, it's a choice because people people don't understand how they fuel the fire. Right. And in communication, there are three elements. And most people don't understand this. There's tone of voice, there's your body language, and it's and then there are the words you use. Okay. Your tone of voice is 55% of the communication puzzle. So, in other words, if you are screaming at somebody, research shows the other person is going to scream louder. Right? If you are condescending, the other person's going to want to defend themselves. So it's really important to become more aware of your tone of voice. And many people don't even recognize their tone of voice, okay? Many people don't recognize their body language. Are they, are they crossing their arms? Are they furring their eyebrows? Are they rolling their eyes? Because all of that type of behavior instigates defensiveness and keeps the conflict going. And the third is the words that you use. So when I say managing conflict is a choice, if you have a particular goal in mind, how are you best going to achieve that goal, right? And if you want something, how can you how can you achieve it? So for example, I teach something called the three W's and the three P's. If you want to have a conversation with your soon-to-be ex-spouse about, let's say, switching weekend for co-parenting, okay? Because I also teach co-parenting. And you know that your soon-to-be spouse is not a morning person, okay? If you choose to have this conversation in the morning, then you are increasing your chances of having conflict. So I talk about something called the three W's, which are when, where, and what. So the when, for example, I said, if your ex-spouse is not a morning person, then don't choose the morning to have a conversation that could be disruptive, okay? Where, is it better to have the conversation alone or is it better to have it at a Starbucks? where there you know people might behave better because you're in public and what are you going to discuss right 
are you going to, you know, discuss just the time sharing issue? Okay. And then there are the three P's and these are the most important and people make these mistakes all the time. You deal with one problem at a time. So if you want to have a conversation about changing weekends, you're not going to talk about changing weekends and the fact that she rolled her eyes at you last night when you came to pick up one of the children, right? So one problem at a time, you focus on the problem, not the person. Oftentimes, when I say conflict's not a choice, if you say something condescending because you get heated, then you have entered the dance of conflict and you are a major part of the problem. So focusing on the problem and not the person. And here's a biggie. Focusing on the present and not the past. So when I say conflict is a choice, if you rehash things from the past, you are adding fuel to the fire. So those are some of the things and the three W's and the three P's are very easy for people to remember. Right. And it sort of gives them a framework. Um, and again, it goes back to the words that you're using. Are you are you using flexible thinking? Are you managing your emotions? Right. Are you sticking to your goal? What was the intention of your conversation? So there's not there's no need for conflict, right? When you can when you can learn to negotiate properly. Does that make sense? It makes total sense to me. Um, but what do you say to the person? And like, and I have, I can, I can think of at least one client like this right now um, who she just wants to fight. She wants to have conflict. She wants to play games um, she wants, you know, if, if you were to say that her husband, she knows that her husband, you know, is not a morning person, she would deliberately want to, you know, have some sort of negative conversation in the morning just to get under his skin more. So okay. what do you say to someone like that? Someone who likes to be antagonistic. Yeah. So what, what, so here's what I, I say to the other side before I'm, I give you my response to, to, to the question you asked is, no one can do something to you without you allowing it. Right. Okay. If you are going to be the protein for someone who loves to fight, then that is on you. So this particular client of yours is getting something from her partner that is allowing her to continue this behavior. So I would really, I, if, if, if it were the other, if you were able to speak to the other side, the other, uh, you know, I would encourage that person to learn how to set th their boundaries because that person is enabling this behavior. And what I would say to your client is, what is it what is it doing for you what are you getting out of it it might be a, an immediate gratification which that's what it tends to be and right. then it's fleeting 
How is this moving our case along? And, and actually getting the answers from them because most of the time they will sit there like a deer in headlights and not be able to tell you how this particular behavior is being helpful, right? And yeah. just because someone has always acted some way doesn't mean they have to continue acting some way. A lot of people, particularly people like a woman you just described, is not very self-aware, right? Because I bet you that she's really not getting anything positive long-term from this behavior. And so you encouraging her to be more aware can possibly shift her, right? And then she can start asking the question, is what I'm doing helpful or hurtful? Not what yeah, I'm I thinking. I was going to say, I try to just get her to focus on the big picture, mm -hmm. um, which ties in exactly with what you're saying. Is this helpful or hurtful? And, you know, by creating more conflict, you know, it's costing her more money uh, mm -hmm. because it's making things more challenging to resolve and uh, it's creating more lawyers fees and it's not helpful uh, in turn. It's not helpful to her children to, you know, have that sort of relationship with their father. Um, and I try and focus on those types of things, but she seems to be stuck in this, um, you know, mindset, uh, that she it's fighter fighting mode, I guess. And she'd rather provoke than be productive or constructive. Um, and I guess it just comes down to what you just said, her own self-awareness. Like she doesn't have much self-awareness in terms of why she's doing that or what it's accomplishing, but I don't, and I don't know that she cares at this particular point in time. Well, you know, I think that she, if, if you were to stop and really segment it, I think that she does care. Something about creating the conflict with him is giving her momentary pleasure as if she has control, right? What she yeah. doesn't understand is that she can have control and shift it a little bit. Right. And so I, I would really encourage her to be thinking about how this behavior is moving the, the process in the direction she wants to go. And if she really spends some time, I call it a brain dump, really to do a brain dump to really list how this is, this is helping you. You know, then people start to realize because they have all these things going through their mind and they don't segment and compartmentalize certain behaviors. And it's only when they do a brain dump that they realize, you know, maybe I'm not benefiting so much from this type of behavior. And by the way, one thing you didn't mention is what's happening to her physiologically, right? When you, when you, are you, you allow yourself to constantly be triggered and you live in this fight or flight state, it has real ramifications physiologically, right? They yeah. have proven now that, you know, stress leads to disease. The World Health Organization has, has determined that burnout, when you're not, you know, taking care of yourself and you're depleted, it leads to physical illness. And her children need a mother, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's really important that she start to understand, like, 
how she's feeling and what she's doing to herself and what are the what are the benefits rather than being in the she's angry right yeah, definitely and have you ever seen the ang the anger iceberg you know what i think i have but it's not um i don't remember it okay I, i'm going to send it to you so so that you have it um what people don't understand is that anger is a secondary emotion it's not a core emotion right, right. so she's being reactive because she's not addressing her core emotions of sadness, of disappointment, of frustration, whatever those are. And if, if we could get her to look behind the anger at what those core emotions are and start to develop an awareness of them, that's how she can start moving through it. And yeah. so those are some of the things that I would work on with her. She's her case right now, it sounds like is being led by her emotions, right? Definitely. And that's when Definitely. we make really big mistakes. And people aren't aware of how their emotions are guiding them in a way that is not beneficial to them, to their to their pocketbook, to their psyche, to their, you know, physical being, to their children. Um, and so that's really why it's beneficial to have someone like a divorce coach who's really there to meet you in the present moment and help you identify these emotional patterns so that you can continue to move forward with what I call the four quadrants of divorce, right? How do you organize for the divorce, the legal piece, the, um, the emotional piece, and the financial piece? Because like I said, divorce is like having a second job. It really is. And yeah, no, it, it can be. It can be. It can be. And 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 it's and it's challenging. It's challenging for the person who wants the divorce, challenging for the person who doesn't want the divorce. The challenges are just different. Um, and helping people to to move forward in a productive way is is just gonna make the process much easier and more amicable for everyone in the long term. I completely agree. Um, now, you provided some very helpful information and, and advice here. Just before we wrap up, any sort of last points that you'd like listeners to be aware of or consider uh, to help them you know, be as empowered as they can as they go through the divorce process? So what I want to say to the listeners is that there are messages in every mess. Right. And in the word message is mess and age. And it's important to take the time to to figure out what are the lessons I'm learning and how can I move forward? Anything that means anything starts with you. And you have the power to to make changes. You're not stuck. Oftentimes people feel very stuck. But you have strategies and tips that you can use. There are wonderful resources out there. Um, my book is a resource. Leanne What's is the name a of your book for listeners? Strategies and Tips from a Divorce Coach, A Roadmap to Move Forward. The first half is based on understanding the benefits of working with a divorce coach. And there are a series of financial checklists, checklists for your parenting plan. I worked with... Um, financial people and, and lawyers and some of the 
people who are very much involved in the in the divorce industry. And then the second half of the book are all self-help strategies. And although it's geared for people who are going through divorce, it, it can help people who are going through all different types of challenges. And the one thing I would say to people as we wrap up is really to take the time to pause in between the stimulus and the response, meaning what somebody says or somebody does and how you react to it. There's a formula that I live by and I teach all my clients, and this is really a great way to end. Um, It's E plus R equals O. E is the event. R is how you react and respond. And O is the outcome. Okay. Events happen. Things happen. Where our control is, is how we react and respond to it. And how we react and respond can have an impact on the outcome. So focus on how you are going to react and respond to whatever you are dealt. And that's where your control is. I agree. That's very well said. Now, if listeners would like to work with you um, and also find your book, uh, where can they find you and where can they find your book? Okay. My book is on Amazon and also on Barnes and Noble. And I have a website, seekingempowerment.com. And there are a plethora of resources there. And my email is jen at seekingempowerment.com. And you work with clients um, all over the world or? I do. do. Yes, I work with clients all over the world. And um, unfortunately, I do speak French, but not well enough to to really get into the nitty gritty. Um, So I, I just only speak with English speaking clients. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you provided some really helpful information. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I just want to say something to you, Leanne. You've been an inspiration to me for a while. I follow you. And I, I think that your clients and the people who follow you on social media are are very lucky because you offer such important information for individuals who are going through the process. And of course, you're an empowered woman. And may we know them, may we be them, and may we raise them. Um, So thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. It's helping. Thank Thank you very much. And thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits mm-hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. 
Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.